In the English language, the word therefore typically signals that something really significant is coming up. If a parent is reviewing a series of bad behavior by a child, when the mom or the dad says therefore, the kid knows he's about to hear what his punishment will be. When a defense lawyer in a murder trial turns to the jury during final arguments and says therefore, the jurors know they're about to hear the primary reason they will be asked to declare the defendant not guilty. Romans 8 begins with one of the Bible's most famous therefore statements, and as we will see on this episode of Groundwork, Paul's thunderous therefore does indeed lead to one of the most lyric and amazing chapters in the whole Bible. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are kind of right in the middle here, program number three of a six-part series on Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans kind of follows the same pattern that the Heidelberg Catechism, the Reformed Confession follows. It's sort of sin, salvation, service, or, you know, misery, deliverance, and gratitude. We've been in the sin part, the misery part, chapters one through seven, tell us that we cannot save ourselves. We are too sinful. And now we're going into the deliverance part right now. And we've read chapters one through seven, uh, but we've always recommended this, that you should read the whole book mm. in its entirety so you can get the full context of what God is trying to teach in this beautiful doctrine and book of Romans. So we can't save ourselves. The law can't save us. In fact, Paul says in the, the early chapters of Romans, the law was never meant to save you, convict you of your sin. But let's remember the climax of what we looked at in the second program, the previous program program. Here's how Romans 7 ends. Paul writes, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? So that's how Romans 7 ends. Now, If we're honest, Scott, I believe that every one of us who are believers have had this dilemma Mm. moment where you're struggling with your new life. You're excited. God has saved you. But you also got this old sinful nature that keeps trying to drag you back into temptation, drag you back into your old ways. And this inner struggle is the heart of every believer, if we're really honest. Daryl, that's where Romans 7 ends. And so it's probably high time that Paul helps us turn the corner to good news. And that's what we're going to get. So we started in Romans 8, and it says, therefore, there it is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The gospel in a nutshell. You know, Daryl, we've noted this on other Groundwork programs. Paul's favorite two-word prepositional phrase, he uses it all over the 13 epistles that he wrote in the New Testament. His favorite little phrase is, in Christ. In Christ. We have union with Christ. And, you know, Daryl, the way Paul treats that, it's almost like it's a, a spiritual location. In Christ is almost like our spiritual zip code now. 
So now that's where we live. We do have one foot in this world, but we're not of this world. And right. we've been born again. I love that because not only did he allude to it in chapter six, when he talked about dying with Christ, bearing with Christ, right. being raised with Christ. Right. But now here in chapter eight, he really goes into detail to show how in Christ we are. In a great book, uh, Lewis Smead's, a great book titled Union with Christ. He said, you know, what is it to have union with Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means we now live inside the new situation, the new cosmic situation that Christ's death and resurrection made possible. Our entire situation got changed. So we've moved from the desperate despair well, that Romans 7 ends with, you know, who will deliver me? Wretched man that I am. Who will help me? Now we've moved into the brightness of the kingdom where sin is forgiven, death has been defeated, and there's nobody in heaven and on earth who can bring any charge of condemnation against us anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation. It's a beautiful thing if you think about how God has paid the debt mm. of sin that we owed. We could not pay it ourselves. And I used to say this a lot, that Christ lived the life we couldn't live, and he died the death we couldn't die to afford us the righteousness by faith that we receive as a gift. All of Christ's perfect righteousness, it's like it gets transferred into our spiritual bank account. It's as though Jesus' righteousness is now our righteousness. He earned it. We get it. That's the doctrine of justification. And although, you know, I've always kind of thought maybe it's too cute by half, but I gotta say there's something correct about the little saying that, you know, the little thing they do with justified, that what does it mean to be justified? It is just as if I'd never sinned. That's actually right. Justification, the way God looks at us, he looks at us and he doesn't see our sin. He sees only Christ's righteousness as though it were our very own. And there are implications that go along with that. And Paul continues mm. talking about this in chapter eight, where he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you lived according to the flesh, you would die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. So there's another therefore that in verse 12 though, that you just read, the second therefore uh, of Romans 8. So now we have this new identity in Christ. Paul says, lean into it. You know, I mean, we're already not at people. We're not fully sanctified. We're not fully made over into the image of God. We still do struggle a, a bit. But remember, uh, Paul says, you are in Christ and live like it. Lean into it. The Spirit of God does live inside you already now, not later, not when you get to heaven. The Spirit is in you now. And the testimony that that is true is that that Spirit, and this is amazing, that Spirit assures us that we are children. We are children. And if you're a child, then you have a parent. And in this case, it's our father. And we cry, Abba, Father. And Daryl, I think, as you and I have probably both said in sermons, we're told that that word Abba doesn't just mean father. It's almost more intimate. It's like daddy. Yes. That's who we get to call almighty God. Daddy. He loves us that way. 
And it's a beautiful connection we have with him to be able to know that he is our father. And because that relationship has changed from an object of wrath to a child Mm -hmm. of God, we actually live a different life. And we can draw on the Spirit's power to get us there. But as we just read there, you you were reading that Romans 8, verse 17. Paul makes a, a little nod here. Uh, So we've been talking about all kinds of fantastically great stuff in the first 16 verses of Romans 8, but then Paul throws in the word suffering. Uh, For now, we also have some suffering, and Paul has a lot more to say about that. We're going to turn to that in just a moment, so stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we just saw, Daryl, that the first 17 verses of Romans 8 are just jam-packed with amazing good news. But Paul has to admit an obvious truth. We receive this gospel. We try to lean into this gospel, but we do it in the midst of a world that still includes suffering, sickness, persecution and death. So what I like about this is that the life in Christ that you just mentioned, it is not one that is sugarcoated. It's not one that is fabricated or, you know, we're not looking with rosy colored glasses. Mm -hmm. We have a life that goes through suffering. Even Jesus promised that there will be trouble. I love the fact that the Bible doesn't leave that out Mm -hmm. and doesn't act like it's just going to be all hunky-dory all the time. No, there is mountain highs and valley lows and life in Christ can help you through those tribulations and sufferings. So what about that? Well, let's pick up at verse 18 of Romans 8, where Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So, you know, there are almost the whole of Romans 8 is really familiar to a lot of people who've been around the church for any any length of time at all. So this is a well-known set of verses, too. But yeah, uh, as you said, you know, there, there's realism here, right? Not pie-in-the-sky, hunky-dory, as you just said, Daryl. Paul acknowledges that, yeah, honesty compels us to admit that our current situation includes suffering, but that suffering pales in comparison to the glory to come. And what I think is interesting here, Daryl, is Paul doesn't say that we're going to get to a day when glory will be revealed to us, or we'll get to see glory. Now, he says the glory is going to be revealed in us, and that's really interesting. 
So I'll call it pole vault theology when we mm-hmm. skip over this life and think about the life to come, the sweet by and by. Yeah. And that's not where Paul is going. He's talking about right here, right now, the Holy Spirit doing something in us that would change our perspective. But I also think it's important for us to know that it's not just about the people, but it's about all the creation. Every critter in it is somehow involved in all this. And they're all looking for the day when the glory will be in you, in me, in us. And in fact, it's interesting that uh, here uh, in verse 19, Paul says that the whole creation is waiting in what he calls eager expectation. And he, he uses a Greek word there. It's found nowhere else in the Bible. It's called apokaradokia. Literally, Daryl, it means to crane your neck. That's the whole creation, Paul says. All of creation is on its tippy toes, craning its neck to see God's glory in Christ revealed in us, the children of God. And since this world has been tainted by sin, all of the things have been affected. Mm. And that's why there's brokenness in people and in creation. And I love the eager anticipation that you're talking about right now, that we're looking forward to God's people being revealed so that he can do the redemption starting in us and through us. That we may be the light and witnesses that he's called us to be, but we're also called to care for this creation until he comes back to redeem it all in full. Right. Uh, but not needless pain, or, or not pain for pain's sake, not pain that's pointless. Paul says, you know what this pain is like? Given birth. These are birth pains. Now, probably like you, Daryl, I learned a long time ago when you're a man, don't Careful. talk about childbirth like you know what it's like because, you know, certain people get upset like spouses. Um, but I've been told by many women that, indeed, the pain of childbirth is terrible. It's severe, it's intense, and yet when that newborn you see your precious child for the first time is laid on the mother's chest. It does kind of fade away. This pain had a point. This pain was leading to something good. And that's the pain of the whole creation, Paul is saying. And to look past that pain to see that there is something better coming after. That's one of the reasons why people continue to want to have children, because they remember the connection and the love and all the good things that come after those temporary pains. And this earth is in temporary pain. Mm -hmm. And when the sons of God and the daughters of God are revealed, then that temporary pain will be cast away for a glory that will come that will be renewing and redeeming for everyone and everything. And you said this earlier, Daryl, that the the scope of salvation, we're reminded here in Romans 8, the scope of salvation is so much bigger. You know, sometimes we talk about how Jesus is my personal Savior. That's true. But Jesus didn't just come for me, and he didn't come for only people. You know, when the devil came to the Garden of Eden and tempted Adam and Eve, he was out to vandalize everything, not just man, the man or the woman, but he was out to vandalize rivers and mountains and elephants and bobcats and tiger lilies and rainforests and oceans. Christ made all that. Colossians 1 and John 1 tells us Jesus was the Word of God who spoke creation into being. So Christ created everything. Everything comes together and makes sense in him. And therefore, Christ died for everything, not just you and me and people, but bobcats and tigers and elephants and rainforests, uh, everything, because it, it is that valuable to God. And so that's supposed to be hope for us who are going through these things now. And Paul is trying to remind us that even in the midst of all of that, we're still in Christ Mm -hmm. and we have the help from the Holy Spirit, especially in these verses where it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know who we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. 
God. So the groans mm. are even interpreted by God because this world is hard sometimes and you still can be encouraged to know that even if you sigh, he knows what it means. Yeah, interesting. The translation we just read uh, said the spirit utters wordless groans. We've also seen translations that the spirit utters sighs that are too deep for words, right? I mean, sometimes in prayer, Daryl, you know, you and I know it. Uh, most everybody listening to this program knows it. Sometimes in prayer, you seem to hit a wall. You know, things aren't getting better. Your spouse is sick and, and you've been praying for healing and, and she's dying anyway. Your kids have turned away from you and you've prayed for them to come back and they just don't do it. And eventually you get to the point where you say, I don't, I, I don't know what to say anymore, God. The spirit enters in and does those sighs and groans that go beyond words. But the point is, what an amazing thing, Daryl. The spirit is praying for us in those moments when we hit a wall. That's a beautiful thing to have the spirit deep down on the inside who is helping to interpret those things. But I also think that it's going to be even better at the end of this chapter when Paul begins to encourage us as he rounds it out. And as we round out this episode, we will see what Paul has to say. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. Now, let's get straight back to Romans 8, Daryl. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left in this program, but we got a lot of stuff to cover. Paul was just getting warmed up. And now we get verse 28. And we now know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And what I love about this verse is that it doesn't mean that all things are going to go great. Right. It goes right along with what we just talked about in the last segment, that there can be suffering, there can be hardships, right. and yet God is not powerless in those situations, and he can work in spite of them, in the midst of them, and he can get all the glory for that. This is a very, very powerful verse for me personally. Yeah. Not all things that happen to us are good, but God can work in all things to bring out some good. It's a mystery. We don't understand. Sometimes in uh, in this life yet, we, in retrospect, can see the good God brought out of something bad. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes people die never having quite known, and maybe it'll be revealed to them then in heaven when they get to the kingdom. But God is able to bring out something good in the long run for those who were chosen, who are predestined. We're going to talk more about that in the next episode of this series. Predestined to be loved by God and to be made capable of loving God back. He called us. He justified us, as we said earlier, and now he's in the process of glorifying us. And again, Daryl, there's still more fireworks to come here in Romans 8. And he concludes this chapter with a very powerful set of statements. And so we're going to read them. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With God on our side, Daryl, nobody can be against us. And because we have Christ as our advocate, because we have Christ as our atonement, because he removes all sin, guilt, shame, and everything that is the wrath that God wanted on us, he's removed those things. Mm. And we have a new life in him as his child. That means nothing can come between us. He's an advocate with a capital A, and the spirit of God is in us as well. So we have the victory. Nobody can take Jesus out of our corner. Nobody can assign us to a different corner uh, because what could ever separate us now from the one who laid down his life for us? And, you know, uh, Paul runs through a goodly list of candidates here of things that could separate us, things we might worry could separate us. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth. 16 things, quite a long list. And you know what? When he gets to the end of those 16 things, he said, you know, as a matter of fact, nothing. There is nothing that can separate, nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that in Christ. And that pretty much covers it. (laughs) Yeah, that's Paul's exclamation point that we are in Christ and we have the victory. There's nothing that can be done. And so that should comfort us as believers. I know it comforts me to know that not even my mistakes, not even the things that happened against me or the injustice of the person I think is wicked, who's getting along further than me in life and and whatever the world calls success. And I start comparing, I realize that stuff is not going to matter because Christ has redeemed us and Christ has given us a new life and we can have the love of God even in our sufferings and even in tough times. Years ago, the pastor, Rob Bell, made a series of short teaching videos that were called Numa, uh, the Greek word for spirit. And one of them he did on, on this part of Romans 8. And, and here's how the video concluded. Uh, Rob Bell said, what can separate you from Jesus? Nothing. 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 You know, when you first watch that video, Darry, you tend to think, well, he's, he's saying nothing a little, a little bit too often. But then you realize you can't repeat that too often, can you? That's the whole gospel right there. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Every time we hear nothing like that, every time we say nothing, it should comfort us. Mm. It should encourage us. It should strengthen us. Because the enemy, he often likes to accuse the Mm, believers of things that they used to do, things that they did wrong, the past that they had that is now gone and forgiven, that God has forgotten. He likes to try to bring that stuff back up. So we can remind ourselves when we look in the mirror and say, no, nothing can separate us. We have been forgiven. We have been justified. And that should give us strength. More than conquerors, he wrote. Sometimes, Daryl, we feel temporarily defeated. Sometimes there are people who oppose us who think, yeah, they got one over on us and uh, he's done. No, they, they didn't get one over on us. No, we're not defeated. Not, not ultimately, not finally. Uh, more 
than conquered. Not just conquerors. You got a lot. I mean, again, you said this is nothing but exclamation points from Paul. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. You know, we, we often here on Groundwork Dare, we try to you know, address the questions that people ask and, and address the feelings and the needs that they have. But, you know, I, I think Romans 8 is almost self-applying, you know. I mean, all of us, I think, can see why this is good news uh, for us in this world. Romans 8 is teaching us that we have won. Mm-hmm. No matter how much we think we're losing by in life, we have already won thanks to the finished work of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection and the spirit of God that he has put in his children. We have the victory, no matter how much we feel like we're losing by. We said that after therefore comes something significant and we got a big therefore. Therefore, now no condemnation. Therefore, now nothing can separate us from the love of God. As the good news goes, it doesn't get any better than that. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study of Romans chapters 9 through 11. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.